Hey guys, welcome to the Boku Talk podcast. I'm Aisha, and of course, we've got the beautiful Fiona. And we're here for another episode. And of course, we have an amazing guest with us, someone that is doing great things in the radio and Union community, Mr. Reggie Styles. Hey, how you doing, ladies? You're all right. We're good, okay. man. We're good. Howdy, buddy, go, howdy, buddy, Nobody joking. He told us that his career isn't the greatest. Our career isn't the greatest. So this is a this is amazing. This is amazing for us. So nobody that. will come and like upstage us. With the career. <laughs> but yeah, so let's get right into it. Mr. Reggie Styles. He's another person that was recommended to us by um, another guest. So just know that you know he's a he's a great person like he's a big person in this industry so yeah you're actually from like you have a radio background so talk us through that um radio was always a big love for me um well before radio actually i was fascinated by music there was a Sierra Leonean um artist now quite a very accomplished person called um collins pratt um, ah, my uncle. exactly you oh, yeah. <laughs> funny enough yeah okay you'd be surprised yeah so um he um, obviously used to DJ at a lot of the African parties and um, play at a lot of the events, funerals. You know, he's the, the in-house key, uh, organist at a lot of events. Um, but when I was growing up, he basically was the person who kind of like first inspired me to become a DJ. Because um, I used to DJ at African parties with him and just hang around the sound systems. And then um, I went and bought my equipment at around about the age of what eight nine uh which was just like these crappy turntables and uh i didn't even have a proper mixer i had a tape deck and what else did i have i had this um thing called a cart machine my cart machine is in radio you use it to play carts but back in the day in the 50s and 60s before they had uh tape decks and before they had um you know your cd players and now obviously you've got uh mp3s you had these things called carts and they recorded about two three minutes of sound and so i had one of those as well so i used to just practice and mess around in my bedroom with that um so my my journey into radio in fact was for a cousin called julia and um she used to listen to a station we used to live in this um uh, council estate in Clapham and you know um she she used to stay with us and um she used to listen to this uh radio station called Lightning FM which is like pirate radio so we used to sit there going through the dial looking for all the R&B hip-hop reggae uh stuff and um I said yeah you know what I really want to do this I want to get into radio and by chance um I got introduced to a guy called uh Terry Don and Terry um we both then formed a kind of like dj outfit and he got me onto a station called vibes fm which um i started broadcasting on and um yeah that's how i got into radio really i was on there at the age of 14. <laughs> and that was that was in london right in london yeah that's yeah. yeah oh yeah so i've got a question so yeah. you're syrianian um you was basically like basically raised in London right what yeah. was that like like growing up as a young Ceredonian boy you know back in the day especially because like you know oh, I hope that didn't sound really bad way <laughs> but um yeah like how, how was that like you know growing up in London a young Ceredonian boy yeah like talk us well I was that. born in I was born in um Sierra Leone 
Okay. And I came here at a very young age. I think it was about two or three. Uh, we were always debating. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was 46. Uh, I was, uh, and I grew up in uh, Clapham. My mum, bless her soul, she's like an amazing woman. She always gave me a lot of um, leeway. I had an um, older foster brother and also older foster sister and loads of cousins around me as well. And um, it was pretty good, actually, from my perspective. I mean, I was fortunate in the sense that I went to a school not too far from my house, which I could walk to, called Larkhall um, Junior School. And I befriended um, uh, a guy called Patrick Ackroyd, who was actually a white guy. And he was my uh, first proper kind of like best friend in school. Um, his dad was a um, lawyer and his mum was a professor at a university. But the unique thing is that they fostered black children. And um, I remember first going to his house and seeing like these two um, black sisters and one black brother. And it's like this massive house in Clapham. And I was thinking, What's, what is going on here? But um, uh, he was in the same school as me. We both became good friends. So I got um, exposed to a whole different lifestyle just by being friends with him. So, um, you know, we went skiing, we did chess, did Meccano. I found so many different things that most other people wouldn't. But at the same time, I grew up in an estate. So we had like the sound system guys, there were people who had sound systems. You had your usual kind of like estate lifestyle. Um, you know, you had your local rude boys and you had your um, local kind of like, you know, uh, um, community centres as well, which I managed to find pretty useful. So I can't say I had a rough, rough upbringing. Um, I had quite a lot of stuff um, which was um, uh, given to me from an opportunity standpoint. I had a bike, I had a ball, I had everything. Uh, obviously, the usual fights and getting called a booboo and all that type of stuff. You know, booboo. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 and all that type. When you're African, obviously, you know, you've got oh. all, that, all that type of stuff as well. Um, but I found um, music was a great gateway to breaking down barriers with a lot of kind of like fellow people, like Jamaicans and Asians. So I had a, quite a, a, a quite a mix of friendship groups when I was growing up. So I had people who, you know, were um, your local gangsters. Uh, and that, and also I had people who were just like your average day middle class middle classes as well. Yeah. Sure, oh, I'm nervous. Here. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm sweating. Oh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Don't be nervous. All right, I, 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 I very rarely do one on ones with anybody. <laughs> well, that's good because so. you should you should probably do more. Quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean, um, I was going to ask you. So you know how you said like you started off quite young, you was introduced to the world of music and the gateway and yep. that kind of inspired you. What what was the genre? What was your genre? Initially, um, and it's always still one of my favorite loves, um, African music, obviously. Um, you know, we all had, I started collecting 12 inches and um, with that classic Rock Hill label, which is um, distributed by Ab Ab Abdul TJ. Um, and, and to be fair, I found a lot of the music through my mum's and auntie's record collections. Mm -hmm. because they had Whitney Houston, they had Marvin Gaye, they had a lot of Calypso as well. So um, I had a mixture of soul and R&B. Then I found dancehall music through joining a sound system. Basically, um, there was a fellow Sierra Leonean um, who lived around the corner, um, uh, Auntie Leonora, we used to call her. And her son was a guy called Nicholas, Nicky. And he was a bit of a rude boy in the area but he had a sound system called um, Red Hot. 
and they created a sausage called Red Heat. So I used to go and hang out with the guys and, you know, we then started, um, they started telling me about the music. So dancehall was really, but also pop music as well. I mean, I remember singing to Starship um, uh, by, um, what's the group called again? No, we can't live this together. Nothing's going to stop us now. Yeah, Starship. Oh, right? that's that's that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, singing to all that type of stuff. Um, uh, my, my inspiration for reggae actually came from musical youth. I remember sitting down, watching Top of the Pops, seeing these these youths come on the TV, singing mm -hmm. a now that I know is a cover version to um, Mighty Diamonds' Pasta Kutchie, but it's called Pasta Dutchy, and I know why they changed it now. And it just appealed to me, and I said, "Oh my God, I want to be like that." Can and I so, ask what is Dutchy? Because I actually don't know. Well, um, <laughs> Dutchy in Jamaican stand in the Jamaican world is referred to as a Dutch pot or a Dutch oh, pipe. So, you know, you can have a Dutch pipe. Yeah. yeah, that's the song, but yeah. I was wondering, yeah. what, what's a Dutch Okay, so the original lyrics of the record are actually Pastor Kutchie. Now, Kutchie is um, Jamaican, in Jamaica, it's a Rastafarian uh, term for uh, a chalice pipe. Chalice. So that's what they would use to smoke their yamba, as they call it, or the weed and oh. marijuana. So um, basically... Yamba. Yeah, so obviously, <laughs> them going commercially with the record, they couldn't have um, a bunch of eight-year-olds singing about Kutchie, so they changed the lyrics to Dutchie. Um, History and, lesson, thank you. Yeah, yeah so that was We needed basically. that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so, you know, you, you lived through quite a lot of eras of music. You've been through it, haven't you? Not really. I'm not that old. No, 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 you're not that old. But you know, you know, listen, 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 listen. You're not that old. You're not at all. But you're not. You're not. But with yeah. Chen, you was eight years old, fifties and sixties onwards, right? There's been quite a lot of, you know, what's the Yeah. There's been a lot of growth within the music industry. There's been a lot of growth in terms of genres. There's been a lot of growth in terms of music. Yeah, what yeah. would you say was the best era for you, like in terms of like genre? I love, I love, I love all eras, and it's a silly answer to the question. But you know, I I'm a I'm a music person. I've got an eclectic taste of music. Although I love the dancehall music, I love playing dancehall. I used to practice trying to be a sound clash, and a, you know, sound clash king. I went and cut dub plates, and I had the fortunate opportunity to go to Jamaica, and I've had the opportunity to be in and amongst that world. Also, from an African standpoint, um, you know, I've I've loved I love the African music. Uh, I love soul. Um, I love hip hop. I love dance and um, house. I went through a phase where I was DJing at the same time at the dancehall gigs in like raw you know, very, very, very murky house blues gigs playing reggae and soul till six, seven in the morning. I was also moonlighting playing your equivalent of what you guys would call your um, local Weatherspoons pubs. Um, but it was more of a middle-class scene up in Kings Road, 
and I was playing a lot of the dance music, like the 90s dance music, like Black Box Ride on Time and, you know, House Music by Marshall Jefferson. So I went through a double, it's like a living a double life because at one point you're playing to the underground and the next thing you're playing to a lot of the high society in Chelsea and um, beyond and Islington so and the West End. So, um, you know, I had the opportunity to have a really eclectic, mix and taste but I was also a student of music I will always be interested in, in rock and roll programs to R&B programs I would read a lot of books and autobiographies from different um country artists to you know from your Dolly Partons to your Kenny Rogers so I really consumed a lot about music you could say I was a student of music but I didn't go to I didn't study it that's the only thing yeah. I didn't study, I didn't actually study. I know now you've got a lot of courses where you can do music management and you can become a music lawyer and you can, you know, you can basically study anything you want to do with music, but I just never ever went down that route. You know, I did marketing and business. Okay. So that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because like you mentioned all of these um, genres, yeah? Mm. And I actually thought you would have mentioned soca, just because for some reason like, I've realised that Australians like we kind of have this relationship with yeah. soca. I don't know what it is, but even growing up, there were so many songs that I heard like in African um, wall parties, and it was only until maybe like last year that like, I figured out that hold on, Australians have been teething some songs because then oh yeah, not oh, actually, you know, Crossfire was... pumped me up. You know, Crossfire pumped me up, right? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah, yeah, I used to Pump think that was Australian. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. We just didn't know it was other countries. No, we did. What, okay, music. what you have to understand is that yeah. music from a black standpoint was always universal. Reggae artists would steal songs from your commercial pop records, um, you know, from the Michael yeah, Boltons and do their own versions of that particular record. The mm. whole soca thing, I love soca. I play soca. Um, some of my good friends, all from, from the Caribbean, I play on a station now that literally broadcasts out in Grenada and the Caribbean as well. But I don't actually play soca on there. But um, I think the history of that comes from back in the day, a lot of the old Calypso sound um, also gravitated, especially to a lot of people in in um, West Africa. It kind of like it, it found its way over into places like Sierra Leone and Guinea and various other parts of the English-speaking colonies um, of the Caribbean, and um, that's why a lot of people have got its affiliation with soca. And to be fair, the, the actual drum pattern of the original Sierra Leone and Calypso. You know, things like King Jimmy and all these various other records, they've got elements of that Calypso guitar sound in it. And that's why there's that, you know, people love that affiliation. But Sierra Leoneans in general, you have to remember, we, you know, were colonized. So a yeah. lot of the, um, it's just weird because if you think about it, we got taken over to the Caribbean, then brought back to form Freetown, and then. Uh, a lot of the music came with it as well. So, you know, that is kind of like one of the reasons why I suppose we've got that affiliation with Calypso and Soka. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, now I think about it, when you hear Shonenian music, we really do have a distinctive sound. Like, it doesn't yeah. sound like it doesn't sound like Afro beats, you know what I mean? Like, it's, dark, it's definitely influenced from a particular sound. I feel like all music in general, like, it takes... It's like from all over the world, you know what I mean? So 
it's I, I, not even surprising like what you just said. You say it takes from each other in a way. Do you understand? Like each, yeah. It all takes from it. It's like a big. It all complements each other in one yeah. way or another. And but in back, saying that, there is yeah. a traditional tribal Gumbe music. Which, I love you know, Gumbe people music. People like Dr. Ola, Sabano. You've got. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, yeah. there is a traditional um, style of African music from Sierra Leone. Um, yeah. And but remember, we have to remember we're English speaking Connolly. And you know, um, as Dr. Ola always says, one of my favourite artists. You know, in his in one of his songs, like Freetown is my Connolly. You know, so he understands that basically we are we are English speaking, so we can get away with doing records from different types. You know, the late Bunny Mac, he had a oh. reggae record, uh, "I Really Love You," but at the same time, one of the biggest all-time African records Last to week. come out of the continent of Africa, which is um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 yeah, exactly, "Let Me Love You," you know. So um, R.I.P. That 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 was that was only possible because he was English speaking, Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, if you look at some of the instruments that they used to use, they still use that old classic um, Stratocaster guitar. That that's like a Stratocaster sound. So you know, I love that. I love it. I, I I you know, I wish I could play guitar. I can play piano to a certain degree, but I never ever learned it. And it's something that I really would have loved. But I love the the Stratocaster bass as well, you know, um, that that sound, that deep resonance that come, that you find in a lot of African music. That's what you find from instruments like that. And then obviously you've got people like Dr. Ola who had that traditional sound where they just turn up with their drums and they're singing with their voices and creating a 13 minute record, you know, and playing music to people. So, you know, there is that mixture of traditional music and there is that Western influence. A lot of African music, you have to remember, is influenced by jazz as well. So you've got that whole genre of African jazz music that came out of places like Nigeria and the Congo and um, other parts of East Africa as well. That's all right. Nice. All right. I'm so talking too much now. Sorry. No, not you're not. You're not. It's because we've got topics. We need to go for it. But um, yeah. So Reggie, you call yourself the radio plugger. I want you to explain that because Mr. Play actually also called himself the plug, the plugger. So I don't know if it's some sort of you know like relation there. Like talk us through that. All right. So I mean it. Okay, so the music industry, obviously, you have different roles, you have different titles. I mean, my entry into the music industry was as a, um, it's once again, my good friend Terry Don, we started producing music and we did remixes for like Tupac, we did um, this girl Robin, you've got that something, we've done, um, what's another one, Will Smith. Um, we also did a remix of, and I'm actually featured on the back of the um, thing as uh, Big Willie Styles. So, <laughs> that, wow. Um, on yes. it, well, it's one of the countries. So it was me, Terry Dawn, a guy yeah. called Carl. We had a thing called the Groove Squad and we used to DJ and stuff. But um, going back to your actual point and question, um, you know, uh, radio, I fell into it through um, joining this company called Hard Zone. So as part of this company called Hard Zone, we used to do all the PR and marketing for most of the major record labels from Ireland to um, Def Jam to uh, Universal, you know, Warners. So we worked a lot of artists, um, R&B, um, gospel, and also reggae and dancer from Shabba Ranks to Beanie Man to um, lo- loads of people. So as part of my remit there, um, I did work experience 
Um, and then, it's so funny actually, because I was actually do, supposed to do my work experience in school um, at uh, BMG Records. But at the time, the guy who was um, looking after it went away on holiday. So he wasn't available. So I had to find another bit of work experience because I'd already done a week's work experience in a stockbroker. because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into finance or if I wanted to go into music. So what yeah. I did is I did, I organized myself a week's work experience at a stockbroker's in Tooley Street where I had to wear a tie and suit. And then I also organized um, a week's work experience in a music PR company. And um, this was a place called Hard Zone, amazing place. Bless up Jackie Davidson, Merrick Crawford, who at the time Merrick was on Choice FM. And um, oh, one, of the, yeah, one of the services that we did was PR and marketing. So we actually had a press department. We had a, um, uh, who dealt with all the magazines and getting people to magazines and stuff. We also had a club department. So that's where you'd send out records to all the club DJs. And then we also had a radio department where we would plug records to radio DJs. So um, that's how I fell into it. And um, my guys that I'm in now, I mean, I was um, also set up a street team um, whilst I was in Hard Zone, I set up the, the official Def Jam street team. A couple of people used to do street teaming for Def Jam as well before I came along. Um, but I set up the official De UK Def Jam street team um, with about 40, 30 members. There was a girl called Shelley who helped me out. She came to my rescue when the idea was posed. Because before that, we were just marketing people's records and getting the records to all the pirate DJs and all the club DJs. So I built up, I'd already had a good relationship because prior to that, I'd worked in a record shop called Supertone Records. And that's where I applied my trade. So I'd already built up a great relationship with a lot of the underground street DJs to the bigger DJs who used to come in there. People like Fran Bruno, who used to come in there as well to buy records um, when he was going through his DJ phase. And he had all the big, huge DJs from Choice FM, Kiss, Trevor Nelson, all these people coming into the shop. So I built up a great relationship through that. Yeah. And uh, that's how I fell into doing radio plugging because it was all, it's just an extension of what I was doing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, it was part of what I did from a street team perspective. But I focused mostly on the community and pirate radio DJs um, after, after a certain time. When I was in Hard Zone, I was plugging to some of the biggest DJs like Lisa Ironson, the Trevor Nelsons, um, uh, Chris Tarrants and people like that. And, sorry, part of my job was to just get records get them to play the records. I used to go into the studios and drop off dub plates and all sorts. So, you know, it's changed a lot now because the new generation, I hate using that word, but in the now generation, um, especially if you were born, if you weren't born uh, pre the internet, we didn't have all this stuff at that time. You used to have to yeah. physically go into a studio, meet a DJ, get an acetate. We used to, uh, it was great. I mean, we used to, I, I, I used to walk up into Choice FM and literally go to Jigs and say, look, this is the hot new record by ABCDFG and he'll get it on straight away. You know, there wasn't that kind of like, um, it wasn't as instant as it is now with the internet, which is not a bad thing, but at the same time, you had quality control. And I think the only good thing is that we had more control uh, over uh, the type of music that could um, be played by radio DJs and radio stations. Yeah, so I think it. people kind of like they don't even realize how important the radio industry is. Like, radio is needed, DJs are needed, they're the ones that plug the music, they're the ones that get the music first in order to get it out there. Like, 
if the DJs aren't playing your music, then it's not a hit. Do you know what well, I mean? And, it's so funny, the record labels yeah. recognise that. And mm -hmm. at some point, there was a kind of like war between the police and Ofcom and the radio authority who were trying to shut down these pirate stations and the record labels because they were sending letters to the record labels and saying to them, look, why are you endorsing these pirate radio stations? They're all gang members. They're all into crime and stuff like that because there was a conceited effort for them to... Um, want to shut down pirate radio because it was having such a massive impact on the community and affecting the radio ones and affecting the capital radios because you have to remember those stations were not playing the records pirate radios were playing and to a certain extent you know it, it does happen today but it was even worse back then and mm. to be that only black person um, you know, in a radio station, you were absolutely overwhelmed. But at the same time, you're thinking, how am I going to pay my mortgage? So I've got to play the game. So, you know, there was, it was very difficult. Can I just ask you, um, so now in 2020, we've got radio stations like No Signal Radio. Yeah. Yep. What are your thoughts on No Signal? Like, this is a new era of music. It's it's blackety black, you know, group of, like, young people just coming together and, you know, having this station. What are your thoughts on that, like, compared to how No it was Signal Radio the is the yeah. modern-day equivalent of what we had back in the day. There is no yeah. difference. A couple of people coming together, you know, Vibes FM, LWR, London Weekend Radio, was a huge radio station. Kiss FM in its original form before it went commercial, was a pirate radio station. It was the equivalent of No Signal Radio, which wow. was um, playing music for the community and coming up with all these different concepts and bringing all the trends and ideas um, to it. What they've achieved as an online platform, an online radio platform, is just amazing. I think it's yeah. great. Big up to Scully, big up to all the team behind it, and uh, you guys, you know, who make it happen. Uh, uh, <coughs> Fiona! Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, yeah, <laughs> big up to you guys who make it happen, and, you know, it's a great thing to see. It's amazing to see, well, see it happen. Sorry. But what it, what, it, what it does say is that, what one thing it is that it's very sad as mm. well, that we still haven't got a proper representation or a proper radio station out there that can deliver what No Signal does. There are a lot of pirate radio stations. There are a lot of community stations, but they don't get the love. They don't get the investment. Okay. They don't get the promotion. You know, people, people go on Capital Extras and the One Extras as DJs and see it as a holy grail, which in some certain, sen in certain senses they should. But at the same time, we should not need to have to go on to Capital Extra and, um, you know, places like One Extra to validate our music. These community stations have been around for years and quite a few of them are still going, you know, mm -hmm. and, but that's not taking anything away from what um, you guys have achieved that no signal. I mean, as a radio plugger, I'm fortunate because don't forget, I'm in a position where I'm seeing radio stations across the country. So you've got like the equivalence of no signal was the original Buzz FM in Manchester, Kemet, Fresh FM in Leeds. You've had um, Radio Sky in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland playing hip-hop and dancehall and stuff like that. Down to the south, you've got pirate stations who exist in Bristol as well, you know, who are doing quite a lot. But the only problem is, what happens is, is that a lot of their talent gets poached to go mm -hmm. onto um, a lot of the mainstream radio stations. Um, and so they don't get the investment, so they're not able to build. But 
what you guys have created without nothing is is really really good and i was just saying this to somebody the other day funny enough no signal came into our conversation and they said to me reg why don't you plug to no signal i said why should i plug to somebody who, who knows what they want they know what yeah. type of music they want to play i'll send the record to them if they want to play the record then that's fine but you know i knew and i got what no signal was about and uh, i know that is it's it's not a station that you know is rigid in its format and stuff like that but i suppose the good thing is that if it's need yeah. some financial backing you need to that's what they're up. trying to do now actually yeah yeah uh, uh, and i said to somebody i said i hope scully's got a five-year plan you know you need to have a five-year plan uh to go oh she's gone missing I think yeah I no she's coming back she's coming back no way she's coming okay. back <laughs> yeah yeah so as long as you've got a five-year plan and mm-hmm. as you understand that the market moves very quickly in radio mm-hmm especially in what you guys are doing. The DJs will always come onto your station because it's the hot new thing. They're seeing the figures, 60, 70,000 people tuned in. So they're obviously going to want to get on involved in it. But yeah. it's having that set of DJs like what um, Gordon Mack had with KISS FM, people yeah. who are loyal to the cause, people who are going to ride with the station and build the station and make it uh, you know, a huge thing and not just jump onto the next big thing when it comes mm-hmm. along. And I think that's the only thing you need to be mindful of. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what Choice FM initially was, right? Choice FM was an amalgamation of different DJs from different stations. But Mm. the key thing with Choice FM, you have to remember it was a different time. So they were the first black radio station to be given an official license, FM license to broadcast in London. But at the same yeah. time, am I boring you? No, 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 no. Do you know no, what happened? I'm okay. so sorry. No, no. Be that raving. You were at the pub, innit? I bet you were only that. Okay, cool. Do you know I'm just going to be real. I'm hungover, but on top of that, my mum, <laughs> everyone in my house went out. No one took a key. My mum's knocking on the door. She's like, open the door. Oh, no, no, that's all right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I had to run down the stairs, come back upstairs. I'm tired. No, no, no. But I'm taking in everything you're saying, honestly. Yeah, no problem, no problem. But um, yeah, so um, I don't know what to say. What, can I, what was I saying? Oh, I just lost choice of them, choice of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So choice of them. You have to remember their amalgamation of it was a station called WNK at the time, where you had the Jigsies and the Calvin Francis's and PC Mystery, and you had um, uh, also some of the pirate radio DJs. But they only took the DJs that were eloquent in speaking and could present. They didn't necessarily take on DJs just because they were really big. They took them on because they knew that when they switched on, that the um, that, that that the audience they were trying to capture were advertising, and they knew yeah. advertising was key. And you can't have a massive um, radio station where you're having to find at the time a half a million pound a year to keep it afloat and pay a hundred thousand pound, 200,000 pounds just for your license to broadcast a year. So the little dances that people were coming on and putting the adverts on at 50 quid a pop wasn't mm-hmm. going to pay the bills. So they had to sound like as if they could represent when they went into meetings. I've been fortunate. I've been into pitching meetings at brand agencies and I could tell you 100% I've experienced the racism. I've experienced wow. the, privilege that we're all talking about now where you know people look at choice fm and they looked at choice fm as just another little black station and that was it and so obviously a lot of advertisers with big brands didn't want to associate their brands with the station at the time because it wasn't 
in their remit. It wasn't part of their, um, you know, vision as a brand. Some brands came on board and it was so funny because if you look at, there was a black brand that they helped build from nothing. I don't know if you remember listening to Choice FM or, Oh, always. That was my, that was my thing. And, and there, was a, there was a brand called Station Communications. Yeah. It started off in a little hub, um, Cupiole in Brixton Station. And they were always supporting advertising. And when they grew and they became a huge uh, radio, a, a huge business, they still advertised with Choice FM. They donated money to Choice FM as well, because it was a perfect example of how the community can build a black brand you know, mm-hmm. and um, sadly they had to succumb to selling it and stuff like that. But anyway, That will yeah. always burn my heart because me, literally, when I should be thinking about going to, waking up the next morning for school or college, yeah. I was listening to Jenny Francis, mm-hmm. you know? Like, my days consisted of, like, Richard Blackwood and Cat on a Sunday. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And them doing their little, um, what's it called, um, their dilemmas and stuff like that. Like, that that was me growing up. So when they sold it and they became, what, Capital One Extra, my heart was... Capital broken. Extra. Because well, if you did... listen to them now, it's not it's not black. It's not. Do you know what? It's so funny because... Well, you remember. Control. Yeah. It's, it's, no, that is just capitalism. It's two in front and it's capitalism. At the end of the day, Patrick and Neil Kenlock did an amazing job. They tried to keep the station afloat. Where they fell foul, I think, was... I don't know if you remember, they were supposed to switch off the FM dial. Oh, I didn't point. hear that. Okay, so basically, there was supposed to be an FM switch off. They announced, the Ofcom announced that there was going to be an FM switch off. So they were thinking ahead of the game. So they mm-hmm. went out and they bought these digital licenses that cost about £80,000 each to run per year. So they went and bought, I think it was about nine or ten of them. So you can think that's, that comes up to about a million pounds. Mm-hmm. that you have to literally pay for your license. So they bought that in anticipation that there was going to be a switch off of mm-hmm. the FM dial. So they went and bought these DAB licenses and um, every year come by, no switch off. Another year come by, no switch off. So you're thinking you're losing a million pound a year in the hole. And so in the end, it just became unsustainable for them to be able to run as a radio station and then they had to sell a share. They didn't initially, they sold a share to a company called um, GWR and, mm-hmm. and they were under the GCAP group. G, um, and then that's when Ashley Tabor, who um, you know, was given global by his dad, who was a rich radio um, operator, um, yeah. then initially came in and they took a share of Choice FM and then they eventually had to sell up because they couldn't sustain holding those licenses. And also, more importantly, the actual brands that they needed to attract to advertise weren't advertising. They weren't getting the um, half a million pound advertising campaigns for McDonald's and JD Sports and all these people at the time. They weren't getting this stuff. Mm. You know, a lot of the major brands were not advertising with them. And I used to do, um, like I said before, I used to go into brand agencies and um, to pitch for work and I would have Choice FM as an example. And they really looked down on Choice FM. They didn't see it as anything. They didn't yeah. see it as um, worthwhile or worth their while at all because they were more thinking Capital Radio and uh, you know these middle-class people who were doing these jobs and in, in, in these brand agencies, they want to get invited to Prada's 
ball. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. sit in the front row of a runway um, with Anna Wintle, or do lunch at um, the Savoy with an uh, with a client. So most of those people, those are the people that they were relying on um, to to get money from. They refused to advertise, but they loved the music. It's so funny because you see a lot mm. of these brand people dancing at events, and you see you're bumping to them at local. Um, events as well and they used to just think to myself well you love the music so why don't you do it why don't you invest you know into in, into um, black businesses into black organizations a bit more and luckily that's changed over the years it has changed and I will say yeah. that you know you guys are in a great time there's some great deals you didn't have to go through what I had to go through which is <laughs> literally walking in somewhere I mean I, I had some success I had Twix I had Beyblades I had Nike I oh, yeah, yeah, you know Beyblades. Let it yeah, of course we have them. I did that marketing campaign. Beyblade. <laughs> I I did that marketing campaign basically. Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. I they came to me and said, um, sorry, they that we were out pitching. Like, listen, I did about two hundred pitches in about what six months to different agencies, and the phone rang. There was a guy who said, right, you know, we've got a little budget. We want to get this um, toy in time for Christmas out to people and build up some kind of um, trend e rep. So I put together a campaign where we went into about uh, 50 to 60 schools in London. We went to about 20 schools in Manchester, Nottingham. So we went around the whole country. And the way that I did it is because, you know, it's shaped as a sphere. Yeah. So I came up with the idea of um, getting a scientist to come in as a teacher to come in and do it as a session, as part of a science session, um, to show people how spheres work, which mm. was the kind of like marketing um, in for the actual toy. Cause I couldn't just turn up and sell uh, a toy to under um, 16. So that's where we, that's how we kind of like fit in. And then it just became huge. Like mm -hmm. we left every school with a box of Beyblades and the actual, you know, the, um, the little arena thing as well mm -hmm. for their classes, for them to be able to play with it. And then after about three, four months, got a phone call from the, he said, I don't know what you guys have done, but the orders for Beyblades has gone absolutely insane. And that's when mm -hmm. they put more money into the marketing. So I like to say, you know, I was part of making Beyblades go, Big up you! So yeah, no. Big up you! Big up Registers. Big up the black community. It's the black community that made it happen, man. Black community made it happen. Love that. Love that. Big letting rip. All right, ready? Another question for you. All right, go on. Set the trend. Is back. Yeah. Talk me through it. Like, set the trend. What is it? How did you come up with it? You know. Yeah, you had to me on there, my babes. Like, yeah, it's all right. You got something um, more nice connect. Set the trend. Okay, so basically, set the trend. Did, did you say Tamia? You mean Shantae Moore? Shantae Moore? Oh my Shantae gosh. Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. Yeah, I looked at her picture. I was like, wait, hold on. Tamia? Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, yeah, Shantae yeah. Moore, my bad. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, we might have her on actually. Just, oh. yeah, yeah. We like Tamia. If you have her on, you know, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I said, hey. <laughs> basically, what it is is that obviously, Junior, uh, I keep calling him Junior, Ray. Uh, Sweet Vibes and East End. I've known them for a number of years, um, you know, through obviously doing the music industry stuff. Um, and we were all talking, we've had little discussions between Ray and East End. They kept saying, you know, oh, we've got to do something because they're always complaining that a lot of the documentaries and not getting enough credit for 
um, you know, being DJs on the street sound circuit and what they've contributed. So we just um, uh, decided, right, you know what? Let's do this. Let's document these things ourselves and let's um, basically provide a platform where the youngsters, the black youngsters or anybody from any other community can watch a, a, a program that talks about things other than Norman Jay, Trevor Nelson, mm -hmm. and all these various other people that made it mainstream. But what about the unsung heroes who, you know, were out every week with their sound systems, who made the records, who went out and bought the records for 100, 200 pounds, that were still doing it, and some of them are still doing it now, who were huge, mm -hmm. you know, ramming out dances on their own, you know, playing all night, not having a football lineup of 15 DJs like you've got now, just one sound system playing music, you know, I think we felt that that story had been lost. So we decided before they started to pass away, we needed to start documenting it. And so we came up with the idea of set the trend, which is getting people on initially who had set the trend in regards to, you know, being the first to play a sound system in East London, North London. And we're now going to go out and reach out to the regions as well and get a lot of those regional um, uh, contributors to the music industry as well. And that's how it came about, really. I mean, we started off in a Windrush bar with our first recording to now, obviously, doing Set the Trend Live. We've got our own studio space as well, which we um, um, do stuff in now, So, um, which is pretty good. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a great thing. I think we've had such great feedback. It's been a blast being part of it. We've obviously just put together Set the Trend, the next gen. That name might change, boy. We've got very own Master Play, um, yeah. Trey and also Shah Shah who are going to be interviewing a lot of the um, generation that came up after them and who were amongst playing in there and then hopefully that generation will then start interviewing the people who um, are part of you know the, the no signals you know your donches yeah. and your um, uh, scullies and people like that so you know that's kind of like the whole point of Set the Trend which is if we don't document and tell our story ourselves somebody else will and they'll tell it in their own eyes mm -hmm. so they'll leave out a lot of stuff you know so I felt frustrated at the fact that a lot of these BBCs I went to them I went to a lot of these people I've been to the you know a lot of my good friends they uh, are the managing directors of Spotify a good friend of mine he's the head of um you know YouTube you know Leo Cohen and all these people and they just didn't get it so we said right well, let's go and do it ourselves first then we have the ownership rights and then now obviously we're in the stage where we want to try and expand it and mm -hmm. become as relevant as people like free shots of tequila and the um receipts podcast and stuff like that and all these lovely book talk podcasts and be as big as you guys yeah. you know you want to try and yeah you want to try and be yes. big as you guys and as relevant because i think it's important that the youngsters see that story mm -hmm. and sadly because we're not talking pasa pasa it's more of a kind of like um, Piers Morgan life stories in interview format it's mm. not as um, it doesn't catch people and a lot of the youths as much as um, you know things like receipts and Boku Talk podcast and things like that you know sorry to mention I have a podcast and your podcast I do no, 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 we're not all about promotion all things black all things yeah, yeah. great all things anything so yeah, yeah we, we go check them out you'll see in a second yeah. what we're about to do Mm -hmm. We're about to, yeah, you'll see what we mean. 
Fantastic. <laughs> no, no, I've watched a couple. You know, good, really good. You're a bit quiet oh, really? today, Fiona. I was, I was coming expecting to hear you guys go, yeah, shouting at me and giving me the, you know, the whole, the whole, I was expecting <laughs> I mean, to get the proper treatment. Now, you should have said, I would have gave you that energy. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, do you know what? That is actually what it is. You know, the ones where, like, someone has already told you, like, this is, like, a really, this is basically, our, our legend, you know, one of our mm -hmm. legends anyways. He's someone yeah, that's been doing it. this. We know we can't come at you anyhow. We can't, <laughs> like, oh, come on. Listen, like, I'll be honest like, with you. I very rarely get asked to do one-on-one -on -one interviews. Um, well, you should and, because and, and, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, I like to pick and choose. I'm, a good friend mm. of mine said to me, Reg, it's the people you don't see that matter. And I like to have that mantra. Um, yeah. going forward but it's kind of difficult when you're trying to do DJing and obviously mm -hmm. doing stuff to stay out stay in the shadows but mm -hmm. um, you know I, I love what's happening and you know what you guys are doing as well which is just fantastic it's amazing and I like to reconnect with a lot of Sierra Leoneans obviously we've got tons of half Sierra Leoneans out there from the big zoos to the Idris Elbers to Chris Kamara you know all these people who are doing such fantastic, fantastic things they deserve a lot more plaudits than I do um, you know, because they've achieved so much. I mean, it's, it's so funny because my auntie, she's got a picture of Idris um, in her, um, because that's her nephew, and she's got a picture oh, of Oh, wow! Okay. Can I just say, can I just say, I'm not trying to say, Idris is everyone's auntie, everyone's nephew, everyone's cousin. Every, I swear, I've met everybody who's related to Idris and more. Fam, I think even my mum. Yeah, well, my auntie actually got invited to go to his um, wedding. actual, um, um, uh, not only the wedding, but also when he went to get his MBE, was it OBE? Oh, um, oh she wow. She was, she was ill. Auntie, but yeah, that's yeah she was ill. She was too ill. So my uncle oh. Mark went instead. So, you know, he's got the picture of Idris with it next to Idris at Buckingham Palace and stuff like that. That's so, nice. And plus also Idris is um, other cousin. I don't know if you know Chantel. Chantel Elba. No. Okay, she used to be on my street team. I recruited her onto my street. We're all related, in, you know, in, in some way. Some the way, Salon so. way. Yeah. yeah, the Salon way. Well, I, well, we've got some blood relations, so, you know, it's 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 not... Um, but I've never really kind of, like, um, harped on about it. Um, you know, Idris, is, Idris used to do our door, actually, um, security back in the day, when we oh, used to wow. do events back in the day as well in East London. Yeah as well before he found fame and went to america so do you know what I, do you know what i do like, not we're not gonna like start going on and on about him but one thing i do love about um i think sierra Leone is in general actually i'm not even just say it just elba i feel like we never forget where we're from Oh, no. we never forget that connection that we have with Salon. So when I'm seeing people like Idris that are going back to Sierra Leone and they're trying to build like a media hub, it really, really warms my heart because there's so much to do there. And mm. you know what? We've spoken so much about, you know, the music industry and the um, radio industry here. But back in Sierra Leone, like, they all they also have, you know, their radio industry there. They've got, oh, it's huge. I feel like that's something that they use more, a lot more now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, is it something that, you know, you'd want to do, like, go back there and, you know, I guess kind of see what it's like there, maybe? I've been to Sierra Leone quite a few times. Um, yeah. I've got a great relationship with people in Sierra Leone. Me and my cousin, about three years ago, he's in the army, we set up a thing called Sierra Connect Entertainment. And what it does is it bridges the gap between 
the Civilian artists and obviously the more global world. And what we've done, we've had people like Arkman, we've had um, quite a few other um, Civilian artists who we've um, brought on board on the platform, um, which has done pretty well, which is doing okay. It's managed by a guy in Civilian. We've sent over, you know, um, drones, we've built a studio. We've got loads of things that we've done out in Sierra Leone. So we've been ahead of the game already. Um, the whole point was for me to use my experience in the music industry to try and put Sierra Leone artists and music on par with Ghanaians and the Burner Boys and, you know, bring a lot of those type of people. So that's kind of like the second phase of what we are, um, we were due to do this year before coronavirus um, landed. So, certainly, you know, we got, we got, we got, yeah, we got cut, uh, we got, we, uh, we got stifled by that. So, um, I've also set up a label called Afroborn Music, which um, is going to be um, celebrating the best of kind of like um, African music and stuff. So, I put that back till 2021, and um, with Sierra Connect Ten, we're just literally um, trying to do deals, and it's really, it's really a funny space, the African music space, because uh, one of the artists that we had. He just signed a deal with Sony, but he cut us out of the deal. <laughs> Which, but we're not, you know, I'm not the type of person who has grudges with anybody. I said, look, yeah. let him live, let him enjoy himself. You know, our platform's already making small, small copper for the artists from the YouTube views already. So for me, you know, we haven't made any money out of it. We put money into it, but we haven't made anything out of it at all. And we were supposed to do LXG here in the UK last year. Yeah, um, but that sadly fell apart. It didn't happen, you know, for for you know one reason or another. But um, yeah, we are actively trying to put always Syrian. I mean, on my radio show, I do on London Star Radio, I always celebrate Syrian music independence, Syrian independence by playing an hour of music on my show, even though it's a soul station and I get in the neck from the boss. But I just felt, you know, I'm proud of who I am, yeah. and if I can do that in any way possible, I do it. So. You know, I'm I'm already active in it. I'm not as um, big as maybe some of the other um, players in African music at the moment are, and that's just through personal choice because I wanted to do it. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. I don't want to do it because you know brands are throwing money. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I've had a lot of people offer me big money to um, get involved with Sierra Connecting from publishers and people like that, but we they weren't on the same page thinking because we're about giving back to these artists and helping them to build things other than just the music studios. We want to build agricultural centers. We want to build little mini factories from the money. And that's yeah. basically what we want to be able to do. And a lot of these big companies are not on the same page when it comes to that vision, because yes, they want to come in and invest, but then it's just like what happened with most Sierra Leoneans um, who uh, after we became independent, where they literally sold the companies and sold the 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 the, the um, land and various other things, and gave away, you know, eighty percent ownership, and that's not something I believe in, and it's not something I want to do. So you know, you can make quick money. I could have been a multimillionaire years ago, but because of my morals and standing and belief, I didn't want to sell my soul for my people. I I got morals and, you know, money isn't everything. My mum cusses me all the time and says, oh, look at this person doing this. And I said, yeah, but mum, you know what? Some of them have done well. Some of them, you don't know what, what, what deal they've had to sign to get what they've got, mm. you know? So um, yeah. I know, but, <laughs> you know, you don't obviously speak about things like that because um, I believe that, you know, 
if somebody wants to tell you, they'll tell you. And it's not my place to tell you how that person got their particular deal and is able to afford what they can afford. And you see it happen anyway, because things start to collapse and things start to unravel and you start to see the reality of what people have actually had to put up with. So that's not something I wanted to do. I'd rather, as long as I've got a roof over my head, as long as I've got my little Batman car I'm driving, I've, had, you know, I've driven nice cars, I've, uh, I'm still unable to walk into most of the elite establishments in Mayfair and various other places with jeans and trainers on. So for me, I'm not a multimillionaire, but I can still be in wherever people are trying to get to by spending loads of money to try and look the part. And I don't have anything against anybody because it's great to want nice things. It's great to want to progress. And, you know, it's just how you get there. For me, I'm very, very strong hearted in the way that I get there. And it's never too late. As much as I'm an old yeah, boy, sure. I know it's never too late, you know. And to be fair, I, I since I was even working in record shop, I always had this thing in me where I wanted mm -hmm. to push other people so I would be more active pushing the new artist guy will come in with his little white label or think it's a great tune I push that more than I would put, push some of the biggest artists and I think that's yeah. where I kind of like got to um, you know encourage people like Play the CLKs the DJ Joneses the Prospects all these people have now gone on Chucky Online they all came through oh. my um, uh, street team and came through what I'd done. There's tons. I could probably name maybe 30 of the top DJs right now doing their thing that came through me, who I kind of like helped to put a good word in. There's people that are in positions now that I'm playing golf on a golf course with their boss, and they've said to me, what do you think of this person? And I put in a great word and said, look, you need to get that person. They are dope. I listen to them all the time. They're definitely going to you know, make it happen. But they don't even know themselves that I'd put that word in, because you don't need to always call up somebody and say, yeah. oh, by the way, I'm putting a word for you. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's, you know, it's good to be humble. Maybe when I'm got dead and gone, and if somebody's still surviving, the stories will maybe come out then, and that's what it's there for. It's about legacy for me. And It's yeah. starting to come out now, though. That's the thing. That's the beauty of it. Um, yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of advice that I gave out that I didn't take myself and play always cusses me all the time. And he cusses <laughs> me all the time. He said, uncle, you give out all the best advice. You help everybody else and blah, 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 and all that type of stuff. And uh, sorry, somebody's trying to call me. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I just like think to myself, well, yes, you're right. But at the same time, somebody said to me, not every opportunity is your opportunity. Not everything's right for you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You know, if I feel that somebody's better equipped to do that, I will put them on. And I think that yeah. came from, I remember when I was DJing, um, I was in Hard Zone and the opportunity came to scratch on the Spice Girls album. And there was a guy called Kofi who was doing the scratching on the Spice Girls album. And I did a yeah. bit as well. And I didn't ask for credits or anything like that. And then the same person um, who managed the Spice Girls and then got stolen by um, Simon Fuller at the time, a guy called Chris Herbert. He mm. managed Blue. And I remember he said to me, Reg, um, you know, love you to come and be the DJ of Top of the Pops. So I said, yeah, yeah, cool, no problem. I turned up at this um, Top of the Pops um, to do the um, rehearsals. And then the producer and a few other people went away. They came back and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, um, I'll tell you what, we're going to... Um, uh, maybe go with somebody else. So I got a phone call afterwards and um, it was another guy who's a guy called Dodge 
He's a big DJ, big producer, well-respected, you know, in the West End and stuff. And he ended up be, being the DJ, DJing for them in the background mm-hmm. on top of the pops. So I thought to myself, well, what the hell's going on here? So anyway, after I spoke to Chris, he said, look, he said, Rich, they didn't really think that, you know, you suited the, um, you had the right image to DJ um, on top of the pops. It wasn't fitting for the band because they were really trying to appeal to the white market and, you know, the mums and all that type of stuff. So I thought to myself, what? So what you're trying to say is I'm too dark or I'm too black, basically. Yeah. So oh! That was the reason why. So I just thought to myself, you know what? Okay, cool. Maybe that opportunity wasn't for me. And that's mm. the reality sometimes of the music business. But um, I got retribution um, years later where I ended up DJing for Lamar on GMTV, Top oh, of the Pops, um, Fame Academy, Does Christmas, yeah. and loads of other places. GMT, mm. yeah, did I say GMTV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was just funny because when I was doing it, I said to Lamar, I said, this is so hilarious because years ago, I, I, I was supposed to DJ for Blue and I didn't get to do it. And look at me now. He says, well, Reg, you know. Lamar's better than about, You know, nah, Blue were, Blue were cool. I love the guys. They, they're beautiful, yeah. right? You know, the I've got cool. the album. <laughs> no, ah, no shame. I, I no, do. I found the album. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? No, we're not. We're not talking about blue. We're not okay. doing it. No, all right, all right, we're all right. not talking. No, no. I love them. No, no. Actually, a lot I of blue songs well. actually written by them, actually. Um, black guys. Actually, a lot Pardon? of their songs. A lot of their songs written by black guys. Like, their um, first song was from um, uh, what they called man. That's not shocking. The first song that they put out was um. All right. Yeah, too close. Too close. Yeah, yeah, but um, a lot of their original material was written by Alistair um, Tennant, who's a fantastic songwriter. Mm-hmm. He was part of a group called River and Bass with another amazing songwriter called Wayne Hector. And, yeah. Um, they basically literally were running the cut when it came to pop and um, R&B music. And, you know, uh, they it wrote is. Jesse J, Wayne Hector, Rick Westlife, Boyzone. His catalogue is ridiculous, you know. Yeah. That's mad. No, well, no, Mr. Stars, oh. yes. it has been such an amazing episode with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, we always do this thing where we pick up somebody in the diaspora that's doing big things. It could be clothing, could be podcasts, it could be anything. So this week's Big Up You is to Sinister Clothing Line, which is my cousin's brand. It's men's wear, it's women's wear. They do tracksuits, they do all types of clothes. You can dress it up, you can dress it down, it's lit. So make sure you're checking it out. Follow it on Instagram. It is at Sinister Lifestyle. Make sure you follow them. But yeah, so just to wrap up, thank you so much, Mr. Reggie Styles. I just want to find out where can the people find you if they want to contact you? What are your socials? Okay, so um, Instagram, Reggie.Styles. I'm on TikTok, but I can't remember what you Swear it down! Yeah. Wow, okay, we need to check that out. I don't out. record any TikToks, <laughs> though. But um, uh, I'm just on there being nosy. That's it. Keeping it keeping ahead of the game, as they say. You know. Um, but yeah, Reggie.Styles on the Instagram. Also, uh, make sure you follow me. Um, I know it's a bit old. Facebook, Reggie Styles DJ. And on Twitter as well, at Reggie Heavy. Um, you know, and uh, don't forget, make sure um, if you're an artist and you need your record, get into radio and to clubs here in the UK and uh, um, also the US as well. And, uh, make sure you check out his Plunder's Voice um, as well. So if you want to hit me up, um, you know, Reggie Styles DJ at Gmail, send me your track and I'll either play it on my radio show or I'll try and recommend it to um, over 500 DJs around the country. Wow. And he will reply, guys. So make sure you reach out if you want your music played. Yeah. But yeah, you've dropped so many gems, honestly. Like, I feel like this particular episode is a music lover slash radio lover's dream. 
and especially because it's coming from a Ceylonian. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And yeah, we have come to the end of the episode. I'm Aisha. We've got the beautiful Fiona and our amazing guest, Reggie Styles. And yeah, we will Big see up to you, you guys. And listen, all thank the best, you. man. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank loving it, you. loving it, loving it. Don't stop. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And just keep, you know, going, man. Keep going. Keep going. Thank you. Make sure you listen to us every Thursday at 6pm. We put out a new episode. Make sure you listen on all our digital streaming sites, Spotify, Apple, podcasts, all of that. And yeah, we'll be back next Thursday at 6pm. Bye. Bye.